hope you're not missing what we've heard tonight. We've heard real life testimony. This may be the hardest time in my life. But my heart can honestly say it as well with my soul. I can surrender it all to God. We've heard, I've had a specific answer to prayer. Opening my eyes to see that God is at work all around me. Strengthening my dad. Praise to the Lord that through the ups and downs, He's drawing me back. He's bringing me back close to Him. And He's placed people in my life to help me to journey with me. You know what I love about times like this? It's real. It's authentic. Not to say that other times aren't. But we know this is a testimony of what Jesus is doing. And I challenge you, take some time to talk like this a lot with everybody you can. I'm convinced that's what Scripture means when, when we're given the challenge to give a reason for the hope that we have. Be prepared at any moment for someone to ask you, what is your hope? Jesus, yes. But unpack that. What's he doing? Well, things aren't going well. No, they weren't. But it's well with my soul. Well, I, I don't know if, if I should talk about it. I, I'm, I'm just a, a teenager. Shout it loud. It's not about the one who is speaking. It's about the one who is doing the work in and through us. Mm. Well, that makes me want to preach, so let's go ahead and do that. Take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. If you're new to the Bible, it's in your right hand. If you divide it in half and then you divide that in half again, it's still in your right hand. And probably if you divide it in half again, it's still in your right hand. Towards the far end of the right side of the book of the Bible. Second uh, Thessalonians, we'll be diving into a new series tonight. Uh, over the next number of weeks, we'll be walking through a study in Second uh, Thessalonians. I'm entitling it, Stain the Course. And this first week, we'll be looking at Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, the first five verses. We did chapter 12 of Genesis through 22 this morning, and we're only going to be able to get through five verses tonight. So you figure how that's going to happen. But uh, staying the course, and tonight looking specifically at the topic or the idea of the suffering that we walk through. Would you take your device or your Bible and navigate over to this scripture, and as I read aloud, would you read... Silently with me. Second Thessalonians 1, 1 through 5. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of excuse me, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because of your faith is growing more and more, and the love every excuse me, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith and all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. The last few weeks, 
Athletes from around the globe have gathered in Rio for the Olympics. And this competition has brought the best and, and the, the brightest and, and the strongest together to compete in sport. What they had in common is that they got to where they're at because they practiced and they practiced and they practiced. When they got discouraged, they didn't quit. When they got tired, they didn't quit. When they experienced injury, they didn't quit. When they received criticism, they didn't quit. And a major reason that they made it to the pinnacle of their sport in the Olympics is because they stayed by their stuff. They stayed the course when others dropped out. I admire that kind of dedication. I, I like watching even certain athletic events that I would never ever watch any other time, but to see that they have given everything and to hear of their training plan and their, their dedication to it and their commitment to that, it inspires me. I'm one of those that appreciates all sports. I like all sports. I'm not good at hardly any of them. I, I've focused in my attention and my love on distance, long distance cycling in the last uh, number of months and few years. And as I've been looking into this, I've seen that there's some common things between long-distance cyclers and marathon runners. Now, don't get confused. I hate running. I, I don't like to run. That's not me. But as I'm looking at what it means to be a better cyclist or what it means to go farther and farther distance, I, I've read some things on those who run marathons. And it's interesting to me that marathon runners, they don't train to finish the race. That's not their goal. Their training is not fixed on finishing their race. They train in such a way to keep running when they hit the wall. All my training is when I get to that point when the temptation is so great, the pain is so great that I quit, I train in such a way that I can press through that wall they talk about. There's a point in every marathon where the pain becomes so overwhelming, the temptation is so great to quit, many cannot refuse that temptation. That's the focus of their training. So when they hit the wall, they can keep moving. Everybody wants to finish well. But there's a lot of pain along the way. And when we hit the wall, that endurance to not give up, I believe, is what Paul is talking about so much in this book. It's that way in our spiritual life. And life is full of pain, just like these endurance things. And when the tough things come, there's a temptation to bail on that marriage. There's a temptation to leave that job unfinished. There's temptation to walk away from that responsibility, even when we know God is calling us to stay. But the Christian life, it's, it's not a sprint. It's that marathon. It's that distance. Pain is involved. Jesus promises us that in this world we will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Maybe you're there right now. We've already heard a testimony or two about that. Not only is this series for you, the word from God tonight is for you. God wants to equip you, wants to equip me to stay the course with Him. If you haven't hit the wall yet, hang on, it's coming. If life is all rosy, I'm happy for you, hang on, it's coming. Every single one of us will have our own bag of rocks we carry. We'll hit our own wall at some point. And if we're not sure how to get through it, we will be in temptation of not staying the course, of falling away, of quitting, of being overcome by discouragement. See, God wants to equip us in this series. If, 
if we begin to hear what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote the second letter, I believe God wants to bless us through what he not only said to the church in Thessalonica, but what he wants to say to us through the same letter. It, this is a short letter. It only has three chapters, 47 verses in total in the book. But I think we'll discover that it is jam-packed full of relevant truth for us today. Paul visited Thessalonica during his second missionary journey. The city is located in the country of Greece. Many people had been receptive to the gospel, so Paul planted churches all over the place. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 17. We begin to see Paul's planting of these churches. He wasn't there long, but God blessed his efforts. Even the church would flourish, even in the face of resistance and persecution by those opposing him. 1 Thessalonians, the first letter written by Paul, was to give instruction to these young Christians in the faith. By the way, 1 Thessalonians, it was one of the earliest written material in the New Testament. Uh, scholars tell us it's probably around 51 A.D. It's packed with these essential truths that every young Christian needs to know. But we may be asking ourselves, why did Paul write this second letter that we're going to look at for the next number of weeks? Why is there this part two? In short... You're taking notes. This is number one. Paul wrote this letter to correct a misunderstanding. I want to take some time to look at that tonight. Because I think there's some meat for us there. One of the main issues that Paul addressed in his first letter was to the believers about the second coming of Christ. When Jesus left his disciples and ascended into heaven, he told them that Jesus was coming back. The first generation of believers understoodably, understoodably thought that God was, was talking about coming back immediately in the next few days. And it's easy for us to understand how they could think that, but as, as days turned to months and months turned to years and years turned to decades, that first generation of Jesus followers was beginning to pass on, and, and there was some dying out of that breed and concern about what would happen to this message of Jesus coming back. See, Paul's preaching had been misunderstood Certain phrases that had been taken out of context of what he had said and overemphasized in some areas. And this second letter seeks to, to put things back into perspective, back into proper balance, to correct the thoughts of those excited Thessalonians regarding the second coming of Jesus. Every preacher, every communicator knows what it means to be misinterpreted. People have the tendency to, to hear what they want to hear not just true with preachers or public speakers you've experienced that in your life as well the temptation to take something out of context all you have to do is watch the news it's full of sound bites that that have the the, the most shocking value that that can be taken one way or another and and our culture is is so good at taking things out of context this week i came across a story that uh reminded me of how easy it is for things to get misunderstood and jumbled all along the way. The story goes as this. This original order came from the colonel, the top, down to his executive officer. And he gives his instruction and it goes to the next tier, to the next tier, and the next tier. Here's the story of what took place. This original order from the colonel to his executive officer was this. Tomorrow evening at approximately 2000 hours, Haley's Comet will be visible in this area. An event which occurs once every 75 years. Have the men fall out in the battalion area in fatigues, and I will explain this rare phenomenon to them. 
In case of rain, we'll, we will not be able to see anything. So assemble the men in the theater and I will show them films on it. That was the message. The executive officer took the colonel's message and gave it to the company commander. By the order of the colonel, tomorrow at 2000 hours, Haley's Comet will appear above the battalion area. If it rains, fall the men out in fatigues, then march to the theater where the rare phenomenon will take place, something which occurs once every 75 years. This company commander takes the message and gives it to the lieutenant. By the order of the colonel in fatigues at 2000 hours, tomorrow evening, the phenomenal Haley's Comet will appear in the theater. In case of rain in the battalion area, the colonel will give another order, something which occurs every 75 years. The lieutenant takes this message and gives it to the sergeant. Tomorrow at 2000 hours, the colonel in fatigues will appear in the theater with Haley's Comet, something which happens every 75 years. If it rains, the colonel will order the comet into the battalion area. Finally, the sergeant to the squad when it rains tomorrow at 2000 hours, the phenomenal 75-year-old General Haley, accompanied by the colonel, will drive his comet through the battalion area. They will both be wearing fatigues. <laughs> My Army personnel inform me this had to be the Air Force. It's one of those preacher stories that I have no idea if it's true or not. Most likely not. But as we hear things like that, it's comical to us because we can see how easy it is for, for this game of telephone to go. And there's misunderstandings. And, and part of the life we live and part of the suffering is, is being misunderstood or, or not understanding what's going on around us. So I ask you, have you ever been misunderstood? Have you been in a situation where you cannot understand, make sense of all this jumbled, garbled mess that's being communicated to you? If so... You and I can heed some good advice from the example of the Apostle Paul. Uh, number two, jot this down. When you have been misunderstood, here's a series of things that we can do. First, don't delay in trying to clear it up. As soon as Paul found out the misunderstanding was taking place, he quickly responded with a second letter. Paul's two letters must have been written within weeks, some scholars think, perhaps even days of each other. He quickly moved upon it. Obviously, this was before any immediate communication like texting or email. and It would take time to deliver this letter. But he jumped on it as quickly as he could. Paul didn't waste any time. Not, no one likes confer, uh, confrontation. And when there's a misunderstanding, there's a tendency to try to just push it aside and to, to hope it will go away. But rarely does the misunderstanding ever go away. Usually it will grow and spread like wildfire. Just like putting out fires, the sooner you address it, the better it is. Not only do not delay when you're trying to clear up a misunderstanding, next, clarify the facts. Because he had been misunderstood, Paul is careful to choose his words wisely to emphasize the point repeatedly. Notice what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. This is the message paraphrase. Now, friends, read these next words carefully. Slow down. Don't go jumping to conclusions regarding the day when our master Jesus Christ will come back and will assemble to welcome him. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1. This is important not just for the communicator, but for the one who's being communicated to as well. When you hear a rumor, make sure you get your facts straight. It's a very short step from relaying one story to someone else to actually being a part of the gossip chain. Clarify the facts. One sure way to, to silence gossip when you're hearing it, ask the person, can I quote you on that? 
as they begin to backpedal and say, well, you know, I don't, don't quote me on this. Well, my thought is, don't tell me until I can quote you on it. It's clarifying the facts. Finally, when you're misunderstood, we could resist the temptation, as Paul did, to be defensive. I love this about Paul. He is a secure leader. Every leader will be misunderstood. That will happen. But a great leader is able to depersonalize the misunderstanding and reaffirm the truth that needs to be communicated. You won't read one word of defensiveness from Paul in this letter. The fact is that, that rather than responding defensively to reports that he has been misinterpreted, instead he affirms the Thessalonian friends for their faithfulness to God. What enabled Paul to do this? He didn't have an ego to protect. He died out to his self-centeredness a long time before. He testifies in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but the life I now live is by faith in the one who loved me and gave me his life. He was secure in Christ, so he didn't need to defend himself. This is an important truth that we need to to look at for ourselves. When honoring God becomes more important than defending our own ego, then you can resist the temptation to be defensive. You see, Paul put himself in the sandals of his readers. These Thessalonians were going through some very difficult, trying days of suffering. They were under attack for the sake of Christ. The Thessalonians were in the middle. They were in the crucible of suffering. They didn't need an insecure preacher beating them over the head. What they needed was someone to help them get perspective, to offer strength, to offer encouragement. Every true believer experiences this at one time or another. You see, this fallen, sinful world system is in direct opposition to the kingdom of God. So when you make a decision to follow Jesus, instantly you will find yourself swimming upstream against all the forces of this world around you. You will become a target of criticism. Bank on it. Count on it. As some observed, when you become Jesus' disciple, some of the mud thrown at Jesus will get on you. 1 Peter 4.12, the New Living Translation, Peter's words are like this. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trial you're going through as if something strange were happening. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Every believer will go through trials, will go through suffering. The difference is how we respond to it. Third thought is this. Suffering will either make you bitter or better. My nanny used to say that all the time. So much that I didn't hear it anymore. And she would begin to say, you know, Brady, uh, you can either be bitter or you can be better. In my mind, I'd want to kind of mouth it almost like, you know, I don't know. Being disrespectful, I was smart enough not to do that, but my mind thought about it. I thought that would be kind of a fun thing to do. Have you ever heard something over and over again that it kind of loses its punch, it loses its emphasis, but it doesn't make it any less true? Sometimes when we hear the same word or the same phrase over and over and over again, we become so accustomed to it and tired of it, and we can miss the truth. But I believe God wants to lift this truth in a fresh way for us. Friend, in the suffering, the circumstance is the same, but the outcome could be different depending on how we respond to it. We could be worse off because of it or we could be better because of it. All depending on how we let God work through us. The choice is yours. 
Maybe someone you love is going through a difficult time of suffering and you want to help them. I encourage you to take note of some of the excellent advice that the Paul, the example of Paul is, is giving here for the Thessalonians. Fourth, we see someone suffering. There's some things that we could do, whether it's ourselves or someone else around us. We could remind them, remind ourselves of God's certainties. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse 2. Our God gives everything you need, makes you everything you're to be. When you feel like you're a failure, when you feel like you're in the middle of suffering, when you feel like everything is at loss, you need great encouragement. Paul is reminding them that God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is in control. He can pull it off, even in spite of our shortcomings, even in spite of our weaknesses. When a person is going through suffering, sometimes the best thing that we can do is to lift their chin and direct their eyes to God. Our God gives you everything you need, makes you everything you are to be. When someone is suffering, we can not only remind them of God's certainties, we could affirm them personally. In verse 3, notice Paul uses this definite article when he says, Thanking God over and over for you. He's affirming them corporately, yet it is very personal. He's not focused on their misunderstandings. He's not focused on their weaknesses. He's not focused on their shortcomings. Paul sees his friends the way that God sees them. It's a thought for us as parents and grandparents. Is that how we see our kids, our grandkids? If you're married, do you see your spouse like that? Are you always focused on their failures? Are you always focused on their weaknesses? Are you always focused on their shortcomings? Or do you see them with the eyes how God sees them? Do you see God's plan and His purpose for them? They are dearly loved by the Father. And they are created in His image. Created for His purpose. There's a time for correction. But when a person is going through suffering, they're in the middle of suffering, they don't need criticism. They need affirmation. They don't need to be pitied. They need your encouragement. Remind them of God's certainties. Affirm those certainties for them personally. Paul says you need to know, friends, that thanking God over and over for you is not just pleasure for me. It's something that I must do. We have to do it. Paul here is not just saying it's something that I I loathe doing, but by the very love that God has put in my heart, I cannot help but encourage you. I'm not trying to just be kind. I'm not just trying to have a good personality. The love of Jesus in me requires me to help you look to Jesus and have hope. Do you have that kind of motivation? Are you stirred inside of you when you see people suffering around you? Do you try to fix their problems or do you try to direct them to Jesus and say, God can use even this horrific thing? I've discovered an amazing thing. One of the best ways to gain perspective on my own difficulty is to offer encouragement to someone else. Let me say it another way. When you need encouragement the most... One of the most helpful things is to go find someone to encourage. I'm out of gas. I'm out of steam. True biblical encouragement is not giving advice. It's not giving a fix. It's pointing them to Jesus. 
And if I point you to Jesus, if I point you to Jesus, I can't help but look at Jesus myself. And my intent to encourage you ends up backfiring and encouraging me. So here's my challenge for you. To look for someone around you intentionally to encourage. For them, yes, but also for your own heart. When I sow affirmation, affirmation comes back. When I sow encouragement, that's what I also receive. That's how it was for Paul. He affirmed his friends personally. He also affirmed them specifically. He doesn't just give some kind of a general thought. Hey guys, you're great. His comments get specific. Your faith is growing phenomenally. Your love is developing wonderfully. You are persevering. You are making it through the trials. He adds this encouragement we're so proud of you you're steady and determined in your faith despite all the hard times that have come upon you one translation puts it that's personal but it's also specific when you take time to think deeply and to affirm somebody specifically it communicates first that they're important to you that you're not just throwing out some empty words that you've thought about it, it also encourages them to continue to improve in that particular area that you were specific in. How do you think the Thessalonians responded when they heard Paul's affirmation? I believe there's no doubt that they would have grown even more sincere and pressing in to the Lord in their very tough time. That's the power of affirmation. I challenge you to take some time to think through and to articulate a specific word of encouragement to each of your family members this week. It won't just happen. You'll need to make a choice to plan to do this. Put it on your to-do list. If someone in your life is hurting right now, ask the Holy Spirit to show you a specific way that you can affirm His work in their life. Okay, now hear me. It's not just saying, oh, you're having a hard time. Could I compliment you on your sweater? Oh, you're having a hard time. Could, could I give you some... some candy or or something that's fine do that that's nice i like it when people give me gifts that's nice when they comment on those things but hey friend this encouragement that paul was talking about it's it's personal it's specific it's pointing them to god and ask the holy spirit what would you have me say that would encourage them how could i point them to you jesus here's the cool thing he will show you what to say when to say it and how to say it paul affirms his friends personally specifically and he also affirms them publicly Look at verse 4 with me. We tell everyone we meet all about you. Criticism should always be private. But praise often is best received publicly. I hear this sometimes. Well, I don't want it to go to their head. That's ridiculous. When you're pointing people to Jesus, why are we worried about sinful, selfish pride? Now, maybe in the way we're encouraging, maybe we're not pointing them to Jesus. Maybe we're pointing them to self. But when I see Jesus in you, and I tell you, I see Jesus in you, it's not a danger of you going, well, I think I'm Jesus. No, I said I see Jesus in you. I see that you're allowing Jesus to come through, and we want the Lord to be glorified and lifted up. When people are hurting, public affirmation never makes them prideful. It's a healing balm for their wounded spirit. Think of it this way. When you see evidence of God working in someone's life, praising what Jesus is doing in their life is glorifying God. We sing about that tonight. When someone is suffering, remind them of God's certainties. Affirm them personally, specifically, and publicly. And finally, encourage them in God's purpose. 
The worst thing about suffering is at times you can feel there is no redemptive purpose in the trial you find yourself in. Well, it's a very real feeling. Don't waste that sorrow. Rather, allow God and His purpose to shine through for you. Paul reminds his hurting friends that God does have a greater purpose in allowing suffering in their life. And the reminder restores their hope in Him. Verse 5, he articulates this powerful thought. All this trouble is a clear sign that God has decided to make you fit for His kingdom, one translation puts. That's always God's purpose through suffering, to make us fit for His kingdom, to make us more like Christ. Now, when we have this familiar passage in Romans 8.28, we know that in all things God works works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. It's important to know that God didn't call all things good. And notice this is not the promise for every single person, for those who trust in Him. But the key is, it's not that he brings good out of every situation in the way we think of good. The next verse talks about what it is. It's to make us more like Christ. Romans 8, 29. I will become more like him. And so the good that comes out of it, Lord, you are helping me become more like you. We understand the value now in this of Jesus' model of suffering and doing the will of the Father. Paul doesn't say that everything's good because it's not. Neither does he say that everything works out for my good. It works out for the good of the Lord's work in my life. That's always God's purpose as he works through suffering. He does not cause it. He allows it to conform us to the likeness of his son. To make us fit for his kingdom. When someone is suffering around you, encourage them to look for and to press into God's purpose in their life. Well... As we come to an end, some of you, you're taking this word in, and I believe that you know Jesus. But the trial you're experiencing, it has so sapped your strength. It may have even weakened your faith. It could be on the edge of stealing your hope. I challenge you tonight, we're going to take some time to turn to the Lord here in just a second. Allow Him to restore your hope. Allow Him to to train you. It's not just about finishing the race. It's about pressing through when you hit the wall to not give up when it's so tempting to give up. You may have been trying to run the race in your own power. You have tripped. You maybe have fallen. Maybe you feel crippled by some events or things in your life. It's time to trust our Heavenly Father's plan. Well, there's the word of the Lord. Now, what are we going to do with it? Oh, good talk, Brady. That's great. Thank you. Let's go to Culver's. Culver's will be there. That's a wonderful thing. But maybe that's not true. Not even maybe. Definitely. <laughs> the Lord wants to make good on His promise that when you and I cling to His word, He makes good on it every single time. So, there may be a number of us here that we're walking through it ourselves. Every single one of us here knows somebody who's walking through it. 
if we believe God's word to be true, and we do, and if we trust in God as, as we do, it could be in this moment that, that all the problems don't get washed away, but there could be hope, there could be encouragement, there could be strength, there could be focus, there could be perspective to help us stay the course, even in the midst of suffering. There's someone in your circle of influence, they've misunderstood you, they didn't quite respond the way you wanted them to, but they're in suffering. Instead of going and setting them straight, oh, address the miscommunication, but maybe offer a lifting of their chin and directing of their eyes to Jesus. Maybe you're the Thessalonians tonight and you go, I'm sure I've misunderstood a bunch of things, <laughs> but my head seems to keep just going below the surface and then back up and below the surface and just back up. Could it be that that God wants to send a brother or sister around you to speak a word of encouragement? Would you let them get close enough to you to speak that word of encouragement? Let's turn to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are so patient with us. Lord, we are a rich, rich people in our knowledge and understanding of who you are. My brothers and sisters in this room, Lord, they know you. They've walked with you. They've studied. They've hidden your word in their heart. But Lord, in our humanness, our mind says, I trust, I believe. Sometimes our heart and our being says, I, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can press through. Lord, would you remind them? of your word to that church in Thessalonica as you spoke through Paul. I am proud of you, my son, my daughter. As you are enduring the hardships, you are pressing on in such a way to win the prize, not to give up, not in your own strength, surely not in your own understanding, but by trusting in him. Friend, I encourage you now, just to lift your eyes from the problem, from the crisis, from the weariness, from the injustice, from the exhaustion. And I want you to focus in on God and His promises for you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The Lord is a strong tower. The righteous can run into Him. He leads us. Beside still waters, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Father, I thank You that You're not just enough. You are more than enough for what we're walking through. So as we talked about this morning, Jesus, we say, yes, we signed the check. We surrender it all to You. Would you help us to see that you are not wasting even this pain? It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. I challenge you, don't let this be the end of the encouragement from 2 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 5. Chew on it. Read it. Read ahead. We'll be in the next chunk next week. God bless you. Find one other person tonight.
that you did not ride in the car with and look for an authentic word of encouragement that you can give to them. Maybe they're not in the room. Maybe you need to make a phone call. You need to send an email. But surely don't go to bed until you try out what Paul is modeling. God bless you. You're dismissed.